Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the, uh, actually not the gospel reading, but the the epistle reading, which is from Acts for the Feast of Pentecost, it's from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, and I will read it in the English Standard Version. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, so uh, let's do some context. Uh, so what what is the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament, and why, of all days, would our Lord choose to pour out his Spirit on this day? Well, I mean, Pentecost means literally 50. Um, so it was the 50th day after the Passover, and it was a mandated uh, feast uh, with required sacrifices that was a kind of harvest festival. Mm-hmm. So it was a one-day feast event- uh, uh, originally. Um, so you know, it was a first fruits offering and a and an, uh, service of thanksgiving, basically. And, and so this was not a feast that they could actually uh, participate in while wandering in the wilderness. They had to wait to, till they arrived in the promised land. Is that right? I didn't know that. I mean, it's commanded in Leviticus, so it was commanded, but then but, but, I they mean, didn't do it. 
Yeah, I guess that's right. How could they, they? weren't planting and harvesting? Hmm. They were receiving their yeah. daily bread. Yeah, good point. So it was I ne- a, I, that's a that's interesting. I never. So it was a feast commanded that they had anticipation for once they arrived into the promised yeah. land. A feast of anticipation. So you think they observed it, even though they didn't? I mean, they must have. So you, if it's a feast of anticipation, I mean, you think they're doing it during the forty? Years? I don't think so. I, I think they were waiting until they got huh. there. Like it's not yet. Okay, we're gonna do this once we have something to harvest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, and until then, they. I mean, even when they were harvesting, uh, I suppose they're still waiting upon the Lord's provision. But in this time, it's a, a, a particular waiting upon the Lord's provision to day by day receive the manna and quail, and then finally to be brought into the land of promise where then, I mean, they celebrate the feast of Passover upon entering, don't they? And then, so 50 days later, as they start taking the land, they can start celebrating this, this feast. I've as never, like a never, fulfillment of that promise. They could have been, they could have been, they could have been observing it during the 40 years with grain that they bought sure. or stole or what I mean so I don't, I don't know I've never can I never it's just never crossed my mind so it, uh that's that's a good whatever they they certainly are right they weren't planting during the 40 years so hmm. mm-hmm. okay it, it's also it does serve uh as thanksgiving memorials do as a, a as a kind of covenant renewal right mm-hmm. even like thanksgiving you know, dinner in America. Um, oh yeah, that's a good point. You, you mean you know, because the, of the giving of the law, which happens roughly in correspondence to this? Yeah, I mean that, and that's the thing that then I think it was a kind of natural progression. So it doesn't say that in Leviticus, but but we do know in the intertestamental period, this became a, a festival associated with the historic event of the giving of the law mm-hmm. on Mount Sinai. So, yeah, and that's the giving of the promise that they were his right, people. Right. And the, the kind of then, yeah, so it's like God got us through this, and so we're going to recommit to him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then I think that, you know, God got us through this, you know, in that he actually named us as his people and gave us his, his law. Yeah. Now, that's, is there any, that's pretty much it. Do you think there's any connection to the Jubilee year, every 50th mm. year? Um, Gerhard makes a big deal out of this in one of his sermons for Pentecost, where he begins with the the reading of or the recounting of Leviticus 25 as a full remittance um, and the pouring out uh, of that remittance uh, in the Jubilee year. Is there any sense in which then the Jubilee year is also uh, and the the understanding of that full remittance, that full forgiveness, the the relinquishing of all debts is associated with the day of Pentecost and then moving forward, the day of Pentecost for, for Christians, that this is the the first fruits of the Spirit that completely release us from the sin, from the sins of the world. I think it's only with the Christian Pentecost. I don't think the Pentecost annually you know, before the come before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, I think it, I don't think it had that. I mean, I think that it, this 
You know, in fact, I, I don't think the Jubilee year ever really had that either, right? We don't have any. Ev- I mean, uh, you know, I don't think the Jubilee year was ever really observed very fully, right? It was. I, I, um, I don't know about that. I, I mean, there's no. We don't. We don't really have it recorded uh, as you know. They really went through with this in, in you know all the way, um, and uh, so I think that the the whole Jubilee year does find its its fulfillment here. Right. Mm. And I mean, not just in Pentecost, but in the whole salvific event and in the person of Christ, but I don't think, aren't we, aren't we beholden that if it's not specifically recorded, that the assumption is, is that it's happening. Well, yeah, I'm not saying it didn't happen. Okay. I don't think it, I don't think it was possible for it to happen fully. I, I, I mean, how are they going to go about it? So, just like I think maybe they did observe Pentecost with grain that they bought, um, you know that's not really the way that Pentecost was intended intended to be observed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Jubilee year just can't have a full. It, how are you going to do this? Um, you know. So do they ever really do it all the way through? I'm not sure they do. I think it's always a kind of compromise situation that they can't quite do. That they're waiting for how to do this. Hmm. I just, I haven't looked into it very much. So I'm, uh, I'm, I have to plead. I, some I ignorance try and on. remember, I didn't make this up. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I made this up. I, th- I think I'm trying to try and remember. I don't know if this is Judish. Just, it seems like it was a conversation with somebody. Hmm. So I'm thinking it was probably him. Well, I'm sure knowing, you know, sinful man, there are always some among the people who are trying to get around it, <laughs> you know, well, sort of, try to find, yeah, I mean, you know, the ninth or 10th commandment way to make it appear correct. right. <laughs> well, but, I, and I don't, I don't mean just that, just that it was that people were, you know, selfishly not doing it, but, yeah. but that there just was this like, sort of like, it's impossible to really keep the Sabbath. I mean, somebody's, you know, there's, there's some people that just have to sort of, or even the Passover, right? Um, you know, there's some people that can't keep it because mm-hmm. there's there's work that has to be done. There's things that have to happen. So they're kind of there's there's sort of this compromised reality. That that's that's part of this, I think. Okay. Anyway, I'm, right. I don't know. Well, he he makes a big deal out of this. Gerhard does, and <laughs> I, I I don't know. Good I kind of like him. it. I I kind of like. I mean, I think there is some evidence within like. Um, what is Philo and the Book of Jubilees, that the Jubilee year is associated with Pentecost, but I don't know to what extent they actually observed um, the Jubilee like you're talking about. Yeah. But but anyway, certainly the fulfillment of all that is is in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and really, yeah. Okay. So there's more context, though. I, I think, so to get back to the kind of text of Acts chapter two, it's, it's worth spending a minute just, I won't reread the whole thing, but to go back to Luke 24, right? Cause there's this explicit connection between them. So in Luke 24, uh, it's all Easter day. So the women go uh, to the tomb, they see the angel, they're sent back to the apostles. The apostles don't believe, but Peter is recorded as going and seeing that the tomb is empty and then marveling. And then immediately two disciples, one of whom is, is Clopas and the other one whom is Peter, but that's another argument. The two disciples go to Emmaus. Of course, we know that story intimately. 
He opens the scripture, their hearts burn, they receive the Holy Communion, then they're sent back, or they go back, but I, I think they're sent in a sense, mm-hmm. um, and they find the 11 and uh, gathered together, and we know from this is the upper room, and they tell them, and then basically immediately, Luke, or Jesus appears, not Luke, Jesus appears, right? So parallel to John 20, um, he eats with them which of course is not in John 20, and he he promises the Holy Spirit. So the last thing he says in Luke 24, having opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Oh, this is really great. Luke really does have this emphasis, right? With, of course, in Emmaus, but then uh, just before that, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Um, and uh, so that's basically it, right? And then we have, when you get to Acts chapter 1, i turn my page here. So then you get to uh, Acts chapter 1, and it starts with actually the ascension of Christ. And we're told that that's 40 days after Easter. So Luke ends on Easter day, and then, and then Acts 1 picks up 40 days later, Jesus ascends, and then we have 10 days between, <laughs> And that's uh, when Peter stands up, and then they they call Matthias to be the twelfth disciple or twelfth apostle, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the whole context, which I think is is helpful because, well, we have the ascension and we have Peter taking leadership, and then we have when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And I can't remember what the ESV had there, and I don't. I my Greek New Testament is still in the other room. I, um. And, but uh, when the, it's an when unusual the, word. Yeah, huh? When the day of Pentecost arrived, but it's sin yeah, play it's not the normal word. Yeah, see that play root. That's the fulfill. That's full. Yeah, to to fill completely. Yeah, so it, it's an unusual it's unusual language, and uh, I think it's worth noting because it's not just an indicator of of the passage of these ten days. Right. I mean, he, Luke is saying this is the fulfillment of, of the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. so when the 50th day, uh, the day of Pentecost had fully come, um, and they were all with one accord in one place, unlike on Easter Sunday when Thomas was missing, mm-hmm. right? And they were doubting. So, so yeah. you get that set up. Now, is this the, is this the same word that Luke uses in Luke 2 when at the birth of Jesus, when the days, came no were fulfilled no, i don't think so i don't think so so it looks like it's not the same word it's just a related word which means to fulfill but not the same word okay in any case he's there is something here that it's he's picking this language to recognize more than the passage of time but but actually the the fulfillment of these prophecies so mm-hmm. there you go and i and it seems like you could do the same thing with the other words that are the time being fulfilled or filled. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 
I mean, it's not just because it's not the exact same word doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't have a similar meaning. Okay. So, so when, when the fulfillment of Pentecost came, that's how you think we should think about this, that it's not just the day arrived that happened, but this is what Pentecost was always already looking forward to. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think especially if you're, if you're thinking of the day of Pentecost as being the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, right. That the giving of the law on Mount Sinai is incomplete in itself. Mm -hmm. So there is this, there is this completion, this, this filling of it. So now there's Mm -hmm. nothing left. Or if you want to go with your Jubilee year, same kind of thing, there's been this, I, I think in some sense, this sort of hesitant, difficult, imperfect, you know, celebration of this, but now it actually has fully come. Mm-hmm. So do you think and, then related to kind of the harvest themes, our Lord as the seed of the word was planted in the ground, died, and then now on the day of Pentecost, you have the fruit of that being poured out. Right. Okay. So, I mean, you, if it was, it'd be nice if it, it's right. Drink of drink of this water and you never thirst again, right? Mm-hmm. This is a harvest festival. Usually a harvest festival, we're expecting it, it's a temporary reprieve and then the work starts again. But but right, but this isn't. This is actually the fulfillment of it. The harvest feast we've been waiting for. Yes. Yeah. So Okay. Um so do you make anything of the the word used for sound here? I mean, because yeah. there are other Greek words. It, 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 so we get our word echo. And so I know this is kind of working backwards. But is there any sense in which when our Lord talks about how the Spirit would give what is Christ's and declare it to us, that he would always be the Spirit of Christ, is there a sense in which this was chosen on purpose, or is this just mm. the way they speak? I never thought about that. I like that. That sort of the Holy Spirit is an echo rather than rather than coming up with original content, he's just repeating. Yes. That's what you're kind of Yeah. Uh I think that's good. I like it. I don't know I don't know that you could make a real dogmatic uh, argument for it. You know, no, I know because I'm working back because yeah. I'm working backwards. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it is a- it is kind of a funny it is kind of a funny word. Um, you know, that so that's the first thing is the sound, and then presumably what follows the sound is the feeling of the movement of wind, and mm-hmm. the whole house is filled, uh, and indiscriminately. I think that's kind of that. There is this, there is this movement from this broad phenomena to the individual divided tongues that come that 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 where one sits on each of them. Um, so I, there is, I see. Yeah, I've but, never understood that they feel the wind. I've always thought that it's the sound of the mighty rushing wind that fills the house. Oh well, I guess. I mean, there is. It, it is a maybe. Maybe you're right. It, it says as of. I mean, I guess I want it to be because of that word wind. Um, yeah, but I like it I just being it. the sound. Just the sound. Just the sound, and then the sight. I mean, they do have the sight of the. Of the, of the, the tongues flames. of fire, yeah. Yeah. They don't but, seem to feel those, so yeah, that's but, kind of good. And, yeah. <laughs> but immediately, <laughs> then, the sound of the wind brings forth other sounds speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think the sound, the sound is a temp- very, it seems brief, right? 
Mm-hmm. It does seem as though there's the sound, and then it's individualized, right? Yeah. That each of them, and then that now. Well, anyway, let's go back to a little bit here. Uh, there, there is something interesting here about that they're sitting. There's a couple of things. First of all, that you know, we have earlier that there's at least 120 of them, and so where they're they're in one place. Uh, what where? Um, that's a big house to have 120 mm-hmm. people sitting together. Uh, some people have said it's maybe it's maybe one of these halls in the temple, one of the places of the temple. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, it seems weird then that everybody doesn't rush to that part of the. It seems like he would have said temple. But, um, where, but where does where does it talk about the 120 in? Uh, 120 in verse 15 of Acts 1. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. Okay. And then, yeah. And then, so I mean, that's the number of the. And then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Don't you think that? I mean, that means 120, doesn't it? Or do you think it just means the 11? Well, I mean, it would have to include Matthias. Or, okay, the the 12. The 12. I think it means the 120. Yeah. It would it makes sense that it would. But so I, but it's but yeah, but so where in the world is this is interesting. And so uh Lensky pointed this out. I was looking at Lensky that that they were sitting. So the Jews stand to pray. So if they're sitting, which is explicit, that means they're listening to a lecture. Mm. I mean, of course they're not listening to a lecture. I mean, they're they're probably listening to a sermon. I mean, they're okay. gathered, and and the fact that they're that they're gathered together with one accord. I mean, this is a worship service. Okay. I mean, they're not gathered together. That's what I, that I think. Uh, that's clear. I think, and I think important that they're gathered together to worship together, and to hear the word of God when this happens. You know, so um, it's not as though you know they've gathered for a birthday party. You know, or no, I don't no, know. You're right. Whatever. And and so I think you know that's it's just worth noting the fact that they're sitting. Um, I think also I mean this is an indication of right they're, they're listening to a sermon when this happens. I think that's important. Well, what are they doing? I mean, or they're receiving the word in any case. It, that could be, but wasn't it customary for in the ancient world for the teacher to sit and for the hearers to stand? Yeah, it was. But so I'm not. What I, are they doing then? I don't know what they're doing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so you say that the posture of prayer was standing. Yeah, well, that's that's clear. But mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. Most of the time, they are standing, and the teacher sits. But when does that change? Maybe here. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I in the know. ancient world, they didn't have pews either. Right early on in the basilicas and the cathedrals. Yeah, well, or even in the—I mean, even in the houses. Who's got 120 chairs in his house? So they're not sitting on chairs. They're probably sitting right. On they're the sitting floor. on the floor. They're sitting on the floor. And why would they all be sitting on the floor? It, uh, why would any? Why would you ever have 120 people sitting on the floor? What would be the purpose? What would they be doing? Eat. I mean, eating. Eating. Yeah, they could be eating. I suppose. Yeah. Seems like he would have used the word for reclining, but but they maybe not be at a table, right? Maybe they're eating. That's interesting. I've, I know I've, I've never really noticed this. <laughs> I never had either. I I never paid any attention to it until I saw that note in Lenskin, Lensky, and I thought, huh, 
they are sitting. What? <laughs> but what is that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, all right. Well, no, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're, they're doing, listening but... to a sermon or versus eating. What does it? What does it matter? Are they? Are they? Uh, I mean, I want them to be are... eating now. Maybe this is the Lord's <laughs> Supper. They've had the Lord's Supper by now. I mean, they had it on Easter Day in Emmaus. So, and, but they're uh, expecting the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, aren't they? I mean, he's they, already oh, promised it on this day, hasn't he? Has he? I mean, go to. He says, does does he says that? Does doesn't he say, say in fifty days from now or something like that, or at some uh, point? Doesn't he give a time marker? I don't, I don't remember that. I don't think so. But maybe I've forgotten or never knew it. He, okay, let's see. He says in. You have heard from me, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not, not many, many days, days from, from now. now. Okay. It's not for you to know times or seasons, which seems so maybe they're just waiting every day. Maybe every day they're coming together and thinking this will be it. So they so are they are they rehearsing the meal at the road to Emmaus so that they can recognize someone in the breaking of bread? <laughs> I mean, that could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be they. I mean, you. Well, that's after this, but right after this, we have that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of the bread and in prayers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, th- that's talking about those who have just been baptized, right? Yeah. The three thousand that were baptized continued steadfastly. This pattern of the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of the bread and in prayers that was, I think, that was already established in these ten days. So are so so say they're eating and discussing obviously they're talking while this is happening but I mean you'd almost think that maybe they were doing something together like uh, a uh, a recitation in unison of something because they all are speaking in other tongues and they all hear the wonderful God uh, works of God well, that's later, proclaimed. though. It's at the same time, isn't it? Well, I'm, so verse I'm, four. No. So verse four is they're filled with the Holy Spirit as they hear the sound, and they began yeah. to speak in other tongues, other languages. And immediately yeah. in verse five, the people who were dwelling there hear it from this house, right? These, but I, but I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about what they're doing. That when they're when they're gathered together in one accord in one place and they're sitting, I know that's my point. Maybe they are making a recitation in unison in the same language when the when the sound starts. When the sound starts, and then they're all speaking in different languages, only the same thing. Oh, some recitation that they're sitting down to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you've even you've got even more speculative than I'm comfortable with. Oh, <laughs> that seems that seems. I don't. I mean, I'll, I. I mean, well, I mean, they could be. They could be. It could be. Could be. They could be rehearsing the Ten Commandments, the or the, the. Oh, I like that. The Ten Commandments. There we go. You know, or yeah. what was what was spoken to them at Mount Sinai? They could be doing any of the 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 normal readings out loud together or the prayers together or the recitations together that were associated with the feast of pentecost so in some sense it would be like not they let's just say you know they're saying the creed they're saying the apostles creed correct so they're all 
they just I don't know I don't know if they sit down for that, but they're they're reciting this together. They start off in English, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty. The sound comes in the midst of this speaking. They just keep going. Yes. From their perspective, nothing changes Correct. except that they see the they see the the, the flame, and then now they, they just keep going the same way, but except they're speaking in unlearned languages. Yeah. And, and but okay. they're, everyone's understanding them in their own tongue, and, and everyone understands them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like that. I know it's speculative, but yeah, yeah. I like it too. I mean, there, there is a. I, I think it's a, it is interesting to think about what were they doing there. Yeah. I mean, okay, they were worshiping, but but what are they doing at the moment? Maybe they hadn't started. Maybe the service. Maybe they're sitting down. I mean, right? This is still the coffee hour. I, I mean. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. There's, there's a thousand possibilities almost, I but but I, I it is connected I like, to worship. I like the idea of them doing a recitation in unison, so it's not like it's charismatic. All of a sudden, they start talking in other languages, all a different message, but it all happens to be something about the wonderful works of God. But if they are reciting oh, I- something that together that is, I mean, maybe it was a psalm, like. Psalm sure. 136 that goes through the mighty works of God or any of those psalms that suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon them and everyone's hearing them in their own language. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there is this, they were there with all with one accord. I mean, and, and certainly there's a big emphasis on unity here. So I think that- They were ascended right then. They were ascended. They were sitting together, not walking together. Oh, okay. But- uh, <laughs> The, uh, well, that's something were, we would never do. We'd never sit. That's together. right. No, no. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the, I do think you're you're right that uh, when they say that we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God, they hear a unified message. Mm-hmm. It's not as though one guy's talking about you know the parting of the Red Sea and another guy's carrying on about you know the the fire called down on the prophets of Baal. They're I think they're 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 hearing the same, anyway. Yeah. All right, we better move on from that uh, long ordeal. <laughs> okay. So they all hear in their own language. So the tongues here, these are actual languages. They're I mean, not he, just he, right. Not gibberish. Yeah. It has to be it has to be interpreted by the Holy Spirit, so that you can not some heaven language. Yeah. Or whatever the ecstatic speech people go for. Mm-hmm. But there is, I, there's another huge question here, and that is, um, do the do, is this all 120 of them, uh, or, or is, is this the apostles that get these, that do the speaking? So that uh, uh, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Right, all of all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Then there there are 16 different places named. Yeah. So it's got to be more than just the 12, don't you think? I don't know. I I would like it to be just the 12. Um, Zelensky does say it's the 12. Yeah. I think this is a miracle of both. Well, I I don't know. It could be, you know, the St. Mary part of this. I don't know. I mean, if she was there, presumably she's there. But I mean, do, does she get a tongue of fire, and does she speak in an unlearned language? I think either way, it's mm-hmm. possible. It's totally possible that this can be at the same time 
a, lang- uh, a miracle of speaking and unlearned languages, but also a miracle of the ear. Um, I mean, they do describe it. We, we hear this in our own languages. So, but I mean, we're even hearing with them six- speak. Yeah, 16 places. There's probably, there's probably more than 16 languages, actually. Probably. In those places. So you, are you suggesting it's only the men? I mean, it seems I, like I with Peter's sermon that this spirit is poured out upon the yeah. sons and the daughters. So this is, uh, this is not like he's holding service. They're bearing witness. I agree. So I, I know. I, I, I just I mean, said I don't want it to be them, but I, I, I don't think we can really maybe get around it. And, and maybe this is the fulfillment of you know the women prophesying. I think that's the point. Yeah. That but it's it, whatever. That, yeah. That, that in their vocation here, as they are, they are proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. Okay. But they're not holding service. And they're not they're not preaching. No. They're just they're and just they're witnessing. Not writing for CPH and they're <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, not that that would ever happen. <laughs> Maybe this is happening in the CPH basement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, anyway, they, they do, I, I, the, think, I think it's a problem to say that it's all of them. No, it's not words. a problem. I, it's not a problem because what's in the Bible. So we're good. But the but is I think whatever happens, it's interesting that this witness actually lacks clarity, or at least is not perceived with clarity by those who hear. Uh, in verse six, it says they're confused, and then in all of them, and then in verse twelve, they're all amazed and perplexed saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So they hear in their own languages, and they're able to understand the words and the meanings of the words of the, that God has done wonderful things, but they don't, they need, they need Peter to stand up and explain it. Some of them, none of them understand it. Some of them also mock and say they are full of new wine. And so Peter, standing up with the 11, so not all 120 stand up, uh, I think they're still sitting. Uh, but the t- the twelve stand up, and then Peter speaks to them in either Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, right? Yeah. And they can all understand probably all three of those languages, uh, and and then he gives them a sermon, right? First of all, right, uh, you who are in Jerusalem, uh, right? Heed yes. by words. These people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day, so we know what time it is. Nine o'clock. And then he goes. He goes to Joel, and our text ends with the Joel citation. Yeah. I mean, the reading assigned, but of, of course, his sermon, the sermon goes on. Goes on. Um, and the sermon uh, really, he goes. He, he quotes Joel to. Let me get this. Yeah, here we go. He he preaches on. He, he brings up Joel. Then he goes to really kind of a creedal statement on the life of Christ with his death and resurrection, mm-hmm. and then then he jumps into the divine nature of Christ yes. uh, based on Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Yes. And really then he finally gives his kind of thesis statement at the very end, which is that Jesus is Lord Yahweh, the one you're here to worship in the temple. Uh, and he is the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, so he doesn't get, I, and I think that the, the correspondence with David and the Messiah language is the emphasis there is the human nature. 
Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's the sermon. But we only get the citation of, of Joel. I actually add verse 36 to the end of mine. So wait a minute. I'm, I, you, all always, the house. You, go, you, keep, you keep going. You, you don't, do you skip? You go from 21 to 36 or you Correct. read everything? Okay. I, I, I just add that little bit so that... That's the thesis statement. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's not a bad idea. But maybe you you should just add the whole thing. uh, I know. uh, (laughs) I, I, at one point, had planned to do just that. But then I'm like... You chickened out. I chickened out. I did. Um, It's just like, you know, I can talk about this instead. Yeah. Because if you add that in, then your it's sermon's more, on the Sermon of Peter. Yeah, it's a pretty good sermon. It is a pretty good sermon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that that's basically the story, um, and then you know we have the details. Yeah. So. I think that I think that Andy Bartelt has done some work on the the various cities. Places, cities. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. The Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of... So you could probably search the Concordia Journal archives on this. But I think he, he relates it to Isaiah and Jeremiah prophecies. Yeah. That these are the places that the word would go forth to. And and here we see them represented here. Okay. I th- so I think Fine. That- Not that exciting to me. I, I mean, uh, I, I think there's 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 truth in that, but I think there's also just the sense that they're from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and and the there's Roman no, world. well, which is the world, the world at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's you know, and they're and also of course explicitly that not all of them are ethnically Jews, mm-hmm. right? Jews and proselytes, uh, and so. And then, then, of course, obviously, they're going to go home. Cretans, I know. I vickered in Crete. I know some Cretans. <laughs> Are the, <laughs> is it true of what their own prophets say of them? I'm not going to say because one of them might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Poor Cretans. They have to be teased with that all the time. Okay. So um, is that Nebraska? Yeah, it was Nebraska. It okay. still is Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. right so... Go, Go ahead. ahead. Uh, I I want to. I think this is interesting. This is an, an int- ironic statement, right? When the mocking, they are full of new wine, uh, because of course they mean it as an insult, and Peter, you know, dismisses it in the sense that what the accusation they make yeah. that they're drunk, that they're intoxicated, since especially since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But of course, I mean, there is this. It's like you know, let his blood be upon us and our children, kind of a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this new wine, of course, the Holy Spirit, they are full of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of intoxication, uh, a transportation to another plane um, that is given in this way. So, and the, and the sort of their hearts are made glad. And I mean, just all that Holy Spirit stuff, right? Yeah. And I, oh. th- there's also the spirit of, I mean, there's no spirit of fear here. He just stands up and starts talking. Yeah, yeah. You, you really get the sense of what Saint Paul says to Timothy in Second Timothy one, mm. right? For uh, you know, fan into flame the gift that was given to you by the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of 
fear, but of power and love and self-control. There you go. So you've, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> he doesn't spend a lot of time. I, he doesn't argue with them either. He do, I mean, he does acknowledge it, right? They're not drunk, but he doesn't. He doesn't get all defensive about it. Uh, he doesn't want to. He doesn't even want to talk about that. I mean, there's like, look, they're not drunk. It's only a third hour, but here's what we need to talk about. Here's what Joel says, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I don't. Why don't they? Why don't they have Joel as the Old Testament reading for the Feast of Pentecost, like the longer reading of um, Joel chapter two, instead thought, of the? They, what do they have? I thought it was. Uh, is this not Babel? I'm trying to look it up right now. I thought it was the... Maybe they have Joel as an optional one. Yeah, it could be. Nope, you're right. Genesis 11. I'm sorry, that's right. Where did I... I think I just got confused in my own thinking because of this citation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. I guess because they because it, because unlike you, a lot of people like this Babel Association. I like the Babel Association. I just don't <laughs> like saying that it's an undoing of it. I rather would understand it as a fulfillment of Babel, right? So fulfillments are undoings. No, they're broadenings. Yes. Well, okay. Are you going to go eat a lobster tonight? I, I mean, you, that, you, what it, does it, that it, mean? I, don't even, I mean, the, it's I don't, just been undone. the The dietary regi- uh, restriction has been fulfilled by Christ, and in, in it being fulfilled, it's the prohibition is undone. Okay, but what's so, the prohibition? Well, I, I, I mean, I'm just saying it's an undoing. There's no prohibition in Babel, uh, but the in Babel, right? The singular language of humanity is divided, and is a and and the diversity of languages is a cause of confusion and strife, right? Yeah, so that and, humans can't cooperate together. And false worship, and false worship. So that's the that's the. But now in so what we expect. The, when we hear this and we read this in Genesis 11, we think, well, this is so awful having all these languages because it causes all this problem. And the way to fix it is, is to have one language again. Right. But, but that's, the not, fulfill, that's not the way it works, right? That's so, my point. Yeah, but, but that's what, here's, but people, here's God's but, point now. Let me tell you his. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that when people hear it, they think that God did something wrong at Babel. Yeah, no, well, that's exactly right. He that's didn't why we do have something to, but, wrong. No, no, that's what they think. But he did. But he it was a curse, and the curse becomes a blessing. That's the point. The curse doesn't become a blessing by being reversed back to one language. The curse becomes a blessing by all of these languages being given the ability and the authority to speak the word of God. I don't think and, that having different languages was a curse. It explicitly is a curse. Uh, no, no, I that's what 11. he wanted all along. Oh my goodness! No, you don't Let's think look so. Look at it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> what, what verse? He wanted is them it? to. He wanted them to disperse, and they refused yeah. to do it because they were strong with one language. Yeah. He, but what happens when you disperse and go to different places? Different different dialects and things pop up. This just yeah, happens. He doesn't. He does. It's not that he doesn't want humanity to be united. Uh, humanity he wants is, them to is be reuni- united around the right things. Correct. And so, and the 
lesson. Here, here we go. Let's see what the language is here. <laughs> but the Lord came down to the city of the tower, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their languages that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there and over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Okay, I guess I'm, I thought. He doesn't I curse them. He wants, I, so after they get off the ark, he reiterates the dominion and fulfilling mandate. And so this is what he desires. They say no. We are strong, yeah, so we are united, and so he, I mean, you can fight against the law of God, but eventually you can bend the law of God, but eventually it snaps back, and that's not the curse. It snaps back with a, well, uh, I think it's I'm not saying curse, it doesn't right? hurt. <laughs> I'm not saying that it didn't have some pain, but this is what he wanted all along, in other words. He was always going to make, he was always going to give him different languages and, and cause confusion. He, he was, there wouldn't have been confusion. <laughs> there wouldn't have been confusion. Yeah, this is explicitly for confusion. Yeah. He says he wants to confuse their languages. I think, here's what I, maybe, you, uh, you're right about he wants them to be scattered and to fill the earth. Um, I think that the, that it is a curse. And I think that the curse becomes a blessing and, it's like, you know, it's like he gave us, he gave us, uh, you know, the pipe organ and this was a great instrument and then, you know, we couldn't handle it. So it got broken into pieces. Uh, and then we struggled with this and then he comes along and he teaches us about a symphony and, and there's not a competition between the instruments anymore or an inability for them to tune to one another. But all of a sudden we go from having a single instrument that was beautiful and we, that's what we long, we thought we were longing for, but now we get this incredible richness and harmony. And I don't think we get that without the Holy Spirit and without faith. So I don't think, well, anyway, that, that's how I think it's an undoing of the curse of Babel. Yeah, I'm not quite- <laughs> And apparently I'm, the lectionary committee is with me. Uh, <laughs> I suppose if you want to side- <laughs> I'm not saying that there isn't goodness in what the Holy Spirit is doing here. But <laughs> well, that's good. It seems like that's what you're trying to, or, or alluding to. I'm saying it's an unexpected goodness. It's a blessing we couldn't have foreseen, or and and uh, it's a it's a blessing of diversity in a way that is shocking and surprising and better and, than we expected. And I think that is precisely what God wanted when He said, after they got off the ark, go. Okay, I mean, I, I think he, I think he would have done it with one language, and there would have been a, there would have been a, a, a simplicity to it. But we, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting well, argument because I've yeah. never even considered your idea before. So I, I, I mean, I, in fairness, you're you're throwing something new at me and making me think about this in a different way. And I, mean, I don't I think, have. A, I, I thought I, think, I had you, but I don't have a biblical. I, I think the problem comes when you know, even in our modern day, where we see the kind of various nations as competition. Uh, and instead of this is the richness of God's creation and what he always wanted, we didn't want what he wanted. 
And so he scattered us abroad. And he's bringing us back together, not with one single language or making us one um, uh, one nation, uh, but he's bringing us back together by, by his spirit so that yeah. all of our uniqueness remains, but now we have not just an earthly nation or an earthly language, but now we have a heavenly home, a heavenly nation, and a heavenly language. Right. He adds what, what, to, what, he doesn't take away. That's what I'm, that's yeah, what I'm trying add, to say. He, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. He does add to, and it is bigger than, bigger than we, we thought and better. I mean, what unites us isn't that we all eat the same food. I mean, oh, that's, I guess, in some ways. I mean, <laughs> that we have the same culture exactly, but Correct. then there is a church culture. There is a singular doctrine. Yeah. There is a singular food in the Lord's Supper. There yeah, is that, a singular culture. That does but, sift out the yeah. pagan within our cultures right? because we've, because we've followed the, the, the ideals of the people of Babel. But, right. but that's to be sifted out and, and then replaced with the, the heavenly things. Uh, but it doesn't completely replace, right? Because you get English carols versus German chorales, and you do have a multiplicity of those things. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when we're in heaven, St. Yeah. John recognizes everyone right. when, and where he- they're from. And their That's languages. Right. Their so it's not like, right. it's not like yeah. a, a leveling of all of that and taking away no, all of that. it's not a leveling. Uniqueness. Yeah, but they're, they're able to actually, they're, they're able to coexist mm-hmm. and sing in their own languages, and it's not a cacophony or confusing. Exactly. He can hear them distinctly. No, that's a good point. Yeah, there, there's, the, yeah. And the unity is in the spirit. So the I get mad. Right. The unity is in the spirit or in the doctrine. The, um, because I, I think in our day we hear the undoing of Babel, like we need to, we need to undo and level and flatten everything. Yeah, I think people hear the undoing of Babel and they think we need to we need to all speak the same language, right? And I, um, and that's that's not, not what, what happens here. Obviously, yeah. he blesses these languages, and you're, you're just saying they were always blessed. I guess that's the difference. You're saying these languages were always authorized to. You would have been in favor of the Septuagint. Yes. I don't know. I, I, still see, I mean, I'm kind of torn. I still am. <laughs> I, I am now because of, because of Pentecost. Um, but the, uh, you know, the idea that this could be translated, right? So the book of whatever, the Quran can't be translated mm-hmm. into other languages. You have to do it in Arabic. But the mm-hmm. Bible can be and should be translated in other languages because of Pentecost. Right. When sometimes, you know, these like semprofs will... They, they they act like they're joking, but I don't believe they're joking when they'll talk about, we're going to speak Hebrew in heaven, right? Right. And I'm like, I don't think, I'm not going to. Um, I'm, but no, because I, think I think we'll I, understand, because I mean, I think the revelation yeah. to St. John is clear. Right. We, we'll be able to, but I, I don't think we're going to lose and I don't think there will be texting language, but... <laughs> emoticons? I don't think there will be... What's the word? Not emoticons. What's yeah, the word for emojis? The, emojis, emojis. Yeah, what there won't emoticons? be emoticons or emojis or memes or anything like that. <laughs> what is the? What is it? What's an emoticon? Where did that word come it's from? The, it's the uh, old version of what an emoji is. I'm, I'm like totally AOL totally, online. 
I'm completely confused right now. I can't I can't think of what an emoticon is. Anyway, the little pictures of the right. Yeah, that's an emoji. What's an emoticon? It's what it used to be called a long time ago. Oh, okay. We didn't. Ha- well, anyway, okay. I don't know. Something's not clicking in my brain right now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we got the spirit for that. All right. So, what do you Stupid preach word. on? I mean, oh, I got a list. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, well, you uh, you got you could certainly preach on on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of confusion about this. Um, so, I mean, you do have Trinity coming up in a week, but and we have had a lot of Holy Spirit stuff, but you could do that for sure. Um, and you, you know, like your echo thing could come in, but all of these John uh, 14, 15, 16 texts. Yeah. I think well, if you do. 14 is the, is the text. Is the reading for the day, yeah. which is uses the paraclete language again. I think, you know, if you talk about the Holy, if you wanted to preach on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, things that you would want to say, uh, besides the sort of Trinitarian realities, is, the, is really the, the purpose and work of the Holy Spirit as the one who glorifies Christ, who bears witness to Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the mundane, I think, is kind of an important rebuke or correction to the sort of Pentecostal movement and the, um, the idea that is often as though the Holy Spirit works through ambiguous, you know, mm. Oracle of Delphi-like nudges of our emotions, right? Mm. You know, so I sort of have a feeling that's the Holy Spirit trying to tell me something, you know? And I mean, there's a lot of that going on, sadly, within Christianity that's, yeah. So there mm-hmm. you go. Uh, you could, this is a, this would is wanna, a text. Would, would you want to build upon that, the idea of uh, not just the mundane, but when you are uh, when you are sitting, when you are quiet. Hmm. Well, I would want it to be, I wouldn't want it to, I'd want it, to, I'd be afraid they'd think of terms of like meditation. Yeah. Okay. If you just said that. I, I would want it to be listening, right, yeah, to the okay. word. Yeah. But, but okay. sure. But contemplation, I mean, there is something, we, at some point, we do need to talk about contemplation of the word as a, as a somewhat distinct reality from just meditation. In, in the in the sense that the word meditation is you know used at the gym and in other places these days yeah like in yoga and Eastern religions right, you mean. right I think contemplation is 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 helpful to use the word contemplation for contemplating or meditating on scripture instead mm-hmm. of using meditation as the word well what if we used uh, like ruminating like you're chewing on it yeah fine just meditate i think is a bit is a bit tainted and a dangerous word these yeah. days that's well, so i mean if you explain anymore. It, that's probably probably all of i mean anything's going to have to be explained so uh you could also preach on preaching um and i think that this is an interesting text to see as the the necessary like peter stands up and preaches and that's what calls them convinces them, convicts them so that their hearts, what do they say? Our hearts burn within us or, or we're, we're cut to the heart. To the heart, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that leads to repentance and, and baptism. And then this dedication to the uh, apostles' doctrine and their fellowship in the breaking of the bread and in prayer. So preaching, we've just talked about this a little bit, but again, you know, this this institution of preaching. And I think that we have a tendency to denigrate preaching. Uh, we're, we're kind of self-denigrating because we're embarrassed as preachers. 
And so we, we, we will even, I mean, I hear people say things in sermons or around sermons, you know, in public worship services, you know, about, well, you know, nobody's ever going to remember this. And I know you just want to get to the main event and blah, 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 you know, and I don't, don't talk that way. Uh, you know, I mean, I understand it at a human level that it, there's a certain reality to it, but preaching is a divine activity that we ought to take with the most seriousness. And we ought to see it as a mystical reality that God actually uses, um, you know, that he's instituted for this purpose. So our mm-hmm. preachers are doing the same thing St. Peter did on Pentecost, and they have the same spirit to do it. They're not apostles, and they don't have infallibility the way that Peter did in this particular sermon, because it's written down in the Bible, but there's a direct correspondence. And we should speak, we should seek to speak eternal words, right? Words of actual weight and matter and consequence that will live forever. Mm-hmm. Um, not words that are temporary and trash and thrown away. And I think if we enter into the pulpit with that attitude, it might change the timber and the character of our preaching some, and there'd be less shenanigans and joking and self-reference and the like. Yeah. Well, I, I think also being cognizant of the usefulness of Scripture the, that you get from Gerhard, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want them to yes. know? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to stop doing? I think we yeah. really need to sit down with all of these texts and really kind of figure out what usefulness of the script this scripture put before us right now needs to be highlighted and used for the benefit of the people of God, for the building up of their faith, so that they do the works prepared beforehand by the Father that they should be due, that should that should be done, that they walk in them, and to stop doing the things that they are doing that get in the way of that. And I don't think we're always thinking about making use of those uses. No, because we've been taught and we've believed that the purpose of a sermon was to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm now distancing myself from that language. I don't think that the purpose of a sermon is to preach the gospel in the narrow sense. What I would think you say? Would you say it's to teach the faith? I would. I'd go one step further. I'd say it's to it's to explicate and apply Holy Scripture. No, that's good. Because it's it's different than so it's different than evangelism or witnessing. So mm-hmm. when you when you evangelize, when you're talking to an unbeliever or even pastoral care, when you're dealing with kind of right, that's a an activity of really kind of systematic theology. If I'm witnessing to an unbeliever, I'm going to give, you know, the salvation outline kind of thing. And I'm going to jump around scripture with proof texts, right, sure. that, that, that make this case. And it's going to be a, you know, law gospel presentation appropriately mm. for that, for that, for that. Cert- or if I'm giving pastoral care, I'm going to, you know, find passages, God willing, right, that actually apply and bring comfort in this situation. But preaching is not talking to unbelievers or people with specific maladies that are trying to be addressed. Mm-hmm. The, the purpose of preaching is to talk to believers. Right? Most of the time, most preaching, Sunday morning preaching, there, there are some, I, funerals are kind of, a, I think, the, in some ways, the most unique preaching opportunity and burden, because that then you are talking to unbelievers mostly. But mostly when we're talking about Sunday morning, preaching to our own people, right? We're, we're, we're preaching on a text, yeah. And our purpose is to explicate and apply that text. 
you know, of course, you know, always with the proper distinction between law and gospel, which is a marvelous light and right. But the purpose isn't to proclaim the absolution. The, mm-hmm. I mean, that happens. That's that's part of what's going on. But yeah, I think I think this idea. So I, I can remember. I mean, I know this was my exact thought process. You know, thirty years ago, we're we're looking at Kemmerer, and he wants to know what's the goal of the sermon. And my goal every time was that the people receive the forgiveness of sins, right? Yeah. Or that the people hear the gospel and believe it, and and are you know filled with the. Whole, it was always as like the goal is always the same, and and so I couldn't even comprehend that. And and you know, my instructors were using that Kemmerer's book, but they couldn't. They didn't comprehend it either. Um, because they thought the goal was always the same. So I, I think we, so the uses of scripture, you know, as they're declared in first Timothy, right. And, and then the way that they're explicated by Gerhardt don't have any application if it's always just to pronounce forgiveness. Yeah. We've, we've taken the first Timothy and just kept the Romans 15, right? We've just kept the comfort, not the other things. Not the other things. And, and, and that's why, so I now, I've really changed on this and um, lots, but now, you know, like when I listen to a sermon, uh, I am, the thing I'm really, that's what I really want now. I want the sermon to open the scriptures. I want, I want to learn to see deeper into the heart of the father through his word. And, you know, it doesn't have to be something new or utterly profound that's never been heard before that I've never thought of necessarily, though I mean, I like it when that happens. And I think, but but the preacher ought to be actually really bringing clarity to to this particular assigned text. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. Oh, that's good. So, that, so there's a lot. We should do a podcast on the process of sermon writing. Okay. Um, I've we'll changed my process. It. Yeah, let's do it. And then I can repeat that whole speech. All right. You could also preach on Pentecost on doctrinal unity, uh, and uh, not just as an ideal, but as actually what God gives. That uh, you know, it's not ours to control, but God does give unity, and it is possible even for sinners on this side of glory to find unity on the basis of Scripture. Mm-hmm. All right. Thematically, you could preach on, I mean, there's millions of things, but I mean, these are just some that came to the top of my head. I have the reversal of Babel. <laughs> uh. So some of you may not want to do that. Um, you could, you could also pick up and this, you know, the comparison to the, to the bestowal of the spirit on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. right. In the giving of the law and, and to see this as the fulfillment of that. And, you know, that connection, a fulfillment and a continuation, right? As the will of the Father is revealed in the words of St. Peter uh, in a way that is fuller and yeah. more explicit than than in the Ten Commandments. So uh, in terms of re- the only kind of thing I had down for rebuke is you could also take this opportunity to rail against the Pentecostal movement. So, yeah, you could do that. I, so, yeah, I don't know how much merit that has in our, I mean, how many of our, how many of our people are really, I mean, you could, the way to do that would be to start off, I think, uh, sort of like Nathan, right? Start off against the obvious grievances mm-hmm. and abuses, you know, snake handlers and, and people that are, and then, and then try to, and then try to kind of lead them to all of a sudden they realize, hey, you act this way too when you, but. So, so would you, 
would you consider doing something thematically that was kind of building upon how you said reversal, but how this is the uh, bringing back together in the spirit, maintaining the distinctions, but uh, pulling down the dividing wall between uh, all these, you know, various places. So having a unity in the spirit and so obviously the gospel is for all nations. Um, yeah. uh, and if it is for all nations, then it's for your nation, uh, meaning your neighbors. Like, yeah. do they know? Like, we tend to think of missions as something over there in some foreign place. But should we then start thinking of that again within our own communities to... Uh, to recognize the spirit has been poured out upon all sons and daughters to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to those around you. Yeah. Even to the, you know, even uh, you could even think in a sense, you know, it's popular to think about these generational gaps, mm. right? So, uh, you know, in the church, there's, there's room for, Boomers, even, uh, or you know, there's this or this Gen sort X of or thing. millennials or right, whoever it is. But there's this removal of confusion and this ability to actually unite over what's real. So it's not that we're going to change the gospel into a boomer accent or boomer themes, you know, mm-hmm. or African whatever. You know, we're going to, you know, the the doctrine is is the same, but you don't have to check your ethnicity or your right at the door right uh so you're you're yeah there there is this marvel again though there's there's the i don't know most of the time i mean i i'm i'm nervous about that kind of stuff because it does seem like when we start talking about the diversity stuff you know then the there does become this temptation to go the to to create unity where god has failed right because we desire unity so we'll just take control of this and i can create unity I can create the church unity in the church right now by just not insisting on doctrinal purity, right? Yes, you could, but that's not unity. Not real unity. So I mean, and 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 I can also I can pretend I can I can elevate um, whatever it is ethnicity or generational you know uh, contemporary issues in a way that 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 sort of seems like it's embracing what happens at, at Pentecost, but it's actually elevating it at the cost of what the actual doctrine and the real unity is, right? So we're not going to, we're not going to change. I mean, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I do. I, I How mean, do we I think find that's a that good point. Yeah. Well, I, again, I think it's just recognizing that we don't live in a time anymore where everyone is a Christian going somewhere. And so we don't need to, at this point, they just need to hear what was said by Peter in his yeah. sermon. Well, I guess in particular, so I'm, I'm all worried about- of Israel, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. But some people would quickly jump on these things we're saying and say, that's the, if, as long as you say the right words, you can do it with rock music. Oh. You know, as long as you say the right words, you know, you can wear, you know, you can dress this way, you can do these things. And, and I think, you know, that's actually As long as you elevating. have the ordo. Yeah. You can do anything. Banjos are fine. No difference between a banjo and a pipe organ. 
those kinds of ideas, which are out there and are prevalent. And I, and I, and that they're, they're nuanced and we have to make a nuanced and difficult argument because they're oversimplifying things and they're actually exaggerating in some sense and insisting upon um, kind of peculiarities against the actual culture of the church, right? There are things that, that aren't appropriate and, but the, but they are diff- it is difficult to discern exactly where the line is and we have to be careful not to fall into legalism, but we also shouldn't be dragged away into idiocy because we've been bullied into bu- bullied by the threat of being called a legalist. Yeah. I, I, I just think that our issue today is we just don't act. We just don't yeah. do, we, we're not necessarily talking to our neighbors about coming to church. Well, we, we just don't have the ability to let sleeping dogs yeah. lie. Right. We, we don't have the ability to talk about things because we don't, we're so bad at actually discrete thinking and, and recognizing distinctions between things and making careful and important arguments. I, I was just talking to somebody about, it's like sometimes, you know, the, the sort of, I don't know who to blame here. I mean, I, sometimes we're, we're, we're afraid to talk about why, for example, the historic lectionary is superior to the three-year lectionary. We don't want to make that argument because we know that in the end, that's adiaphora. And, you know, if you're reading the Bible in church, you know, that that's what we're commanded to do and you've met the minimum and okay. But there are actually arguments to be made about this. And it is possible to talk about these things and to think about them precisely and deeply and carefully without, without resulting in legalism. Right. And, and, and I think it's called we're so, wisdom. Right. But, but we're not very good at doing it because we just go, just, just give me the minimum. And then I don't want to do any other, I don't want to work hard or think about this. I just want to be able to do, just tell me the minimum and I'll do the minimum and I'll be happy. And don't you dare judge me. And let's not. And there's a kind of rolling of the eyes. You know, if you try to have an argument uh, right away, they jump to, well, that's, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, we need to learn how to think about these things with some precision and think about the consequences of this and all, all of these kinds of complicated things. And we're not good at it. We haven't done much of it. We're, we're kind of often ashamed of it. When people try to do it, there, I mean, there is great disdain for this kind of work, I think. Yeah. I mean, I recognize that there's been abuse of this kind of work and that, you know, some people, you know, we, we do have our autistic contingent that, you know, gets hung up on details and yammers away and won't shut up. Okay. Like Gottesdienst? <laughs> that's what they all, that's what they say about us. And I mean, if it's true, then I, then they need to, dem- in compassion, they should demonstrate that to us. I, I right. don't think that is true of Gottesdienst. I think there's actually, as we've often noted amongst the editors, no unity on these sorts of issues. There's lots of diversity, and we're actually at least and I, and I, and among the readers as well. And you know, we're able to actually get along and respect one another because we all care about these things and we think they matter. There is a there is a a, a modern spirit of the devil that really hates theology to be taken seriously or to care about the details. Anybody that cares too much about these sorts of things is just being awkward and nerdy, you know, and we just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I don't know how we got into all that. 
I don't either. Oh, because of how do you have this balance of diversity is legit, it's in the Bible, and it's blessed in a sense, and yet mm. at the same time, not going off the realm of diversity trumps all, and it's a, you know, how do we have the balance between unity and diversity? Well, we recognize that God wants us to be different, and the diversity that is being touted today is to say that, yes, we have diversity, but we need to be not just acknowledge that it exists or that that God has made us different, but that we all have to become the same as the different. I yeah. Mean, I remember being in high school and, you know, uh, in the 90s, the big thing was being goth, you know, like so <clears throat> dressing all in black and dyeing your hair jet black and kind of making yourself look pasty white. Um, and I mean, I, I think I got in an argument with someone at some point. He's like, well, you just don't like me because I'm different. And I'm like, no, you look exactly the same as anyone else who says they're different. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not be, I, I'm arguing with you because I disagree with you about this thing. So it's not like I have to become the same as everyone else. And the modern diversity mantra is really about going back to pre-babble where everyone has the same language and is all doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's not actually the the diversity that God wanted and desired when he spread them out and as he brings them into his kingdom from all tribes and languages and nations. So so we have to we have to be willing to fight for the the proper understanding of those terms like equity and yeah. fight for diversity, the proper understanding, the biblical understanding. Uh, but instead, you know, we, we just, we, we overreact often. Yeah. But I mean, that's the, the, the fallen way, I think. That is the fallen way <laughs> to do the easy thing and to justify it. Yeah. And over and overreaction and being led by your passions is always the easy. Yeah. And a part of that is, I, I don't think we really understand how to talk to one another and negotiate anymore. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and so uh, I'm all for assertions, but I think, you know, we end up treating people even in person as though we're, you know, writing an email to them and we just, we never actually talk. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's right. I think there's, this is all related. Yeah. So we, we should do a podcast on that and try to fix it. There we go. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? No final thoughts. So surprising. Um, <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jason. 